What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylar. So my last episode, I recapped everything that happened in the Giants-Cowboys game from Sunday night. Now I'm going to give a recap of every other game in the NFL from this past weekend in Week 1. I'm going to touch on every game, probably a minute or two in each game, so it won't be as in-depth as I went in on the Giants game, but I'll give you guys my thoughts on each game and talk about some players that stood out, whether it was for the good or for the bad. We'll start off with the Bengals, who had a tough loss to the Cleveland Browns. Joe Burrow didn't even show up in this game. It was actually his first career game with under 100 yards. The Browns ended up beating the Bengals in this one 24-3. Burrow just became the single highest paid player in NFL history a week ago. Got the contract extension through the 2029 season. Right before the game, gets the deal done. Gets a five-year, $275 million deal, so about $55 million per year. And maybe the contract ended up being something that was a distraction for him. Maybe got his head out of the game a little bit, which he didn't show up in this game for the Bengals, as I mentioned. But he struggled against the Browns his whole career. He's actually 1-5 versus Cleveland in his career now with 10 touchdowns to 5 interceptions in 6 games. And this one on Sunday, he was 14-31 of 31 passing for 82 yards. As I said, his first career game with under 100 yards. There were 11 punts for Cincinnati in this game, and they only had two drives with multiple first downs. That's crazy for an offense that most people would have in the top 3-4 to four in the NFL. And the craziest stat I saw was that the air yards per pass attempt that was completed by Joe Burrow went two and a half yards on average, meaning he wasn't airing it out. He didn't really have many completions that were long completions of 30 or 40 yards like he typically has in a typical game where he'll throw like a 30, 40 yard strike downfield to Jamar Chase. That wasn't the case in this game. And credit to Cleveland's defense. They showed up and they played. They really showed out. And had a great game for Cincinnati in week one. A game that I didn't really give them much of a chance in. I thought Cincinnati was going to win this game. Even though Burrow has struggled versus Cleveland in his career. I thought Burrow was going to come out hot. And thought he'd be firing the ball downfield. Considering he just got a big payday. But maybe that was a distraction for him. And no completions to T. Higgins on eight targets is nuts. If you said before the game T. Higgins would have eight targets and not record a catch. I'd say no chance. That's actually crazy. Deshaun Watson in this game was 16 of 29 passing for 154 yards, a touchdown in an interception, had five carries of 45 yards in a touchdown on the ground. Once again, looked rusty and not great, but did enough to get a win. Credit to Cleveland, they got a win. The defense, though, was a big reason that Cleveland ends up winning that game, holding Cincinnati to just three points and 82 passing yards for Joe Burrow. That's just crazy. I don't think anybody saw that coming. And credit to Miles Garrett. He's my pick for Defensive Player of the Year, and he started off the year hot with a sack and four quarterback hits. So now I'm going to move on to talking about the 49ers-Steelers game, which the Steelers' offense did not show up in this game. The 49ers absolutely dominated the Steelers in this one. The 49ers are now 11-0 when Christian McCaffrey starts. 11-0 when McCaffrey starts. And he's been healthy his entire time with the Niners, which hasn't really been the case his whole career in the NFL. He struggled with injuries a lot of his time in Carolina. But with San Francisco, he's found a way to stay healthy. And maybe because he doesn't have to take... 30 carries a game like you used to when he's on Carolina. They can really split up carries and touches there in that San Francisco offense, considering they have so many weapons. Brendan Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Elijah Mitchell. They have so many weapons on that offense that McCaffrey doesn't really have to take a beating anymore. The 49ers end up winning that game 30-7 to over the Steelers. Credit to the 49ers' relentless pass rush. They made it hard on the Steelers' offense all game. Nick Boza just got a massive extension From the 49ers right before the game, he ends up becoming the highest paid non-quarterback in NFL history, getting a five-year $170 million deal at $34 million per year. Bose's cap numbers are actually crazy because they found a way to restructure the cap so his first three years on this new extension doesn't really get too much of a cap hit so they can really save money and spend elsewhere. But then the next three years after that, it's ridiculous how much money he's going to be getting. So in his first three years, he has cap hits of $11 million, $14.6 million, and $20.5 million. 
And that's from 2023 to 2025. So 11 million, 14.6 million, 20.5 million. In the years 2026 through 2028, he's getting 42 million, 52 million, and 42 million with a void year in 2029 getting 5.8 million. So a lot of big cap hits at the end of that contract. The back end of that contract is filled. 42 million, 52 million, 42 million. He's getting a lot of money at the end there. But the reality is, pass rushes, left tackles, they're all getting a lot more money than they used to because of how important they are to the game of football. You need a top-end pass rusher, you need a very good left tackle, and your quarterback needs to be really good too. All three of those positions typically are the most highest-paid positions on each team because of how valuable they are to the game of football in today's day. So in reality, Bose's money does look crazy, $34 million, but somebody's going to get more money within the next year or two probably. That's just the way the NFL goes. TJ Watt could be up for a new deal. Same thing with Miles Garrett after this year if they both opt out, which they probably both will. Aaron Donald has an opt-out as well after this year's over. We'll see if he wants to play another season after this since he's been contemplating retirement. So we'll see what happens there with Aaron Donald. He may even retire after this year's over, but I think for Garrett and Watt, they're both going to get big paydays on the next contract. Probably get similar money to what Nick Bosa just got, if not more. That's just the way the NFL goes. The salary caps continue to go up. Players continue to get more and more money. And the more important positions, like pass rushing, offensive line, like a left tackle, and the quarterback position... All of them are valued more now than ever, and they're going to get paid the way they should be because those are the three most important positions in the game of football. Quarterback, left tackle, and then an edge rusher. That's great. You need all three of those on a really good team. Maybe not elite at all three positions, but you need good players at all three of those positions in order to compete in today's day in the NFL and try to chase a Super Bowl ring. That's just a reality. You need to be good at the quarterback position and then in the trenches as well. Offensive line, defensive line, very important part of the game. So while I'm speaking about pass rushing being a big part of the game in today's day in the NFL, the 49ers defensive line was able to put a lot of pressure on Kenny Pickett. They had five sacks and nine quarterback hits on Steelers quarterback Kenny Pickett. That ends up being a big part of the game. The pass rush of Kenny Pickett stopping him from being able to look downfield and find open receivers, that ends up being a big difference maker. Kenny Pickett really didn't have much time in that game to make plays. 49ers defensive end Drake Jackson had three sacks, two tackles for a loss, and three quarterback hits. They always find a way to generate pressures, whether it's from Drake Jackson, Nick Boza, Fred Warner. They always find a way to generate pressure, whether it's from the defensive line, the edge, linebackers, safety blitzes. The 49ers are very good at generating pressure, and that's what I worry about for the Giants in next week's Thursday night game. The Giants play them a week from tonight on Thursday Night Football. That could be a tough one for the Giants. Considering the Giants really struggled against Dallas's defensive line, the 49ers' defensive line is very good too. So that could be a tough game for Daniel Jones and the Giants' offense. But in that game, Drake Jackson did shine for the 49ers against the Steelers. As I said, three sacks, two tackles for a loss, and three quarterback hits. Kenny Pickett didn't have much time to throw. 31 of 46 passing, 232 yards, with a touchdown and two interceptions. A disappointing start to the season for Pittsburgh's offense, who was money during the preseason, but they still have a lot of time to get back on track. But this is obviously not the best way you want to start the season. But there's still 16 more games to go. And I thought George Pickens would be a breakout play this year. And he didn't really do much in that game. But with that being said, nobody on the Steelers offense did much. When you lose the game 30-7, to you really didn't have much going anywhere on offense or even on defense. You didn't really have much going as a team in that game on Sunday. But they still have a lot of time to get back on track. 16 games left in the season. There's still a long way to go for teams to figure things out and get themselves back on track. For the 49ers, quarterback Brock Purdy played very well in this game. He found Brandon Ayuk for two touchdowns in the first quarter, and he finished the game 19-29 passing for 220 yards and two touchdowns. That's very impressive. That's very impressive. 
Brandon Ayuk had a great game. As I said, two touchdowns in the first quarter. Eight catches for 129 yards and two touchdowns. But one thing I want to say about Purdy was that I did question him in my quarterback rankings. I think he's going to have solid numbers considering you have that many weapons on offense. But when you look at everything he has around him and how easy of a system the 49ers give quarterbacks where they really don't really have to do too much, you always have an open receiver and you always have a dump-off option. You always have a guy in the flat that's always open. There's always somebody open for the 49ers on offense. But in that game, Purdy was a general. He found ways to find open receivers, get them the ball, and he looked very good yet again. He continues to win games, so I can't really criticize him too much more. But as I said a lot in my preview to the season, I do really like Sam Donald. I really want to see him get a chance with this 49ers offense. Another guy that stood off for the 49ers on offense was Christian McCaffrey. They're 11-0 now in games he starts, and he had a 75-yard touchdown in this game. Very impressive. I mean, the firepower in this offense is just ridiculous. Then you look at 49ers defense, and as I mentioned, they made it very hard at Kenny Pickett in the Steelers offense. I was honestly surprised. I thought the Steelers would have an upset win in this game with all the momentum they had last season at the end with Kenny Pickett taking over and them winning games and getting themselves back to over 500. I thought there was a lot of momentum in the Steelers' favor going into the season. Then they did very well in the preseason, so I was excited to see them play. That's why I had them as an upset win over the 49ers in this game. But credit to Shanahan and the 49ers. They came ready to play on the road and got a win. Tough start to the season for the Steelers. There is still a long way to go, but they now are without defensive lineman Cam Haywood for at least the next eight weeks. So that's obviously a loss there with a big injury to their defensive line. Next up, I want to talk about the Packers, who got a big win in week one over the Chicago Bears, 38-20. Jordan Love really shined in this game. He actually became the third quarterback in Packers history to have a three-touchdown and no-interception game within his first two starts. That's very impressive. Only the third quarterback in Packers history to have a three-touchdown and no-interception game within the first two starts. Very impressive. First two starts of their career, that is. So, very big start to the season for Jordan Love. He started off the year on the highest note possible. Three touchdowns, finding Romeo Dobbs for two touchdowns, and that's without Christian Watson healthy. He was able to find other receivers downfield and throw touchdowns. As I said, two to Romeo Dobbs, who had a good rookie year last year, and maybe now he takes a step up in that offense. Hopefully, Christian Watson... Does come back healthy, hopefully this week, because I thought he was going to be a big breakout candidate this year for that Packers offense. But credit to Jordan Love. He looked great in this game. He looks great. I'm excited to see what he does this week against Atlanta. I think that's going to be a fun game to watch. Could be a close one right down to the wire, which the Packers last week won in a blowout, and the Packers won their game by two touchdowns. So neither team has been in a close game. Obviously, it's only one weekend, but neither team had a close game in week one. So if this were to be a close game, I think it would be a fun one to watch considering both teams have good offenses. Obviously, the Packers have probably a lot more depth on offense than the Falcons do, but the Falcons do have Bijan Robinson. Hopefully, Drake London is a breakout candidate this season like I thought he would be. And they also have Tyler Algiers, a solid backup running back, with Kyle Pitts as well, a tight end. If you look at the Packers, if Christian Watson's back healthy, that's a big wide receiver one there, potential to be a breakout player this year in fantasy football. Romeo Dobbs, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, Jordan Love. I mean, I think it'd be a fun matchup to watch. In this game against the Bears, Aaron Jones really showed up. He's a guy that I don't really have much confidence in going into the season because I thought A.J. Dillon would take over at the midway point. And now Aaron Jones is a little banged up. We're going to see if he can play in week two. But in this game against the Bears, he had nine carries of 41 yards and a touchdown with two catches of 86 yards and a touchdown as well. So two touchdowns with 127 yards from scrimmage. Very impressive start of the season for Aaron Jones. Justin Fields, quarterback of the Chicago Bears, did struggle in this game. 216 passing yards, a touchdown, and a pick. That pick was returned for a touchdown by Packers linebacker Quay Walker. That was a fourth quarter pick six, making it a 38-14 game. 
So it was already kind of over before that pick six. It was still a 17-point game, but that pick six ends up making it a 24-point game. Fields also added in nine carries of 59 yards in this game. One thing I do worry about for the Bears is that their offensive line is definitely still an issue. Justin Fields was sacked four times in this game. That's definitely something they need to address in the 2024 NFL Draft. The next game I'm going to mention here is the Patriots-Eagles game, which it ended up being a very close game. The Eagles end up winning that game 25-20 in the rain on Tom Brady Day. But the Patriots found a way to battle back. They were down 60-0 early in the game. They could not have started the game any worse with a pick six by Eagles cornerback Darius Slay and then a fumble inside their own territory by Ezekiel Elliott, giving the Eagles very favorable field position with a lead. And the Eagles end up converting and getting a touchdown on that drive. So it's really hard to start the game giving up a field goal in your first defensive drive. The Eagles got a field goal right away. So the Patriots gave a field goal in their first defensive drive. Their first offensive drive is a pick six for Darius Slay. So you're already down 10-0. Or I guess 9-0 actually because the Eagles missed an extra point. Then in the next drive, the first play, Ezekiel Elliott fumbles. And the Eagles recover the ball on the Patriots' 26-yard line. So the Patriots put themselves in a hole, down 60-0 early. They could have just packed it up and gave up, but they battled back. In the second quarter, Mac Jones looks great. Even though, as I said, he did have a pick six in the first quarter. That was off Kendrick Bourne's hands. Returned for a touchdown early in the first quarter, but then he responded in the second quarter and found a way to get the Patriots back on track with two touchdown passes in the second quarter, one being a ton to Henry and another touchdown strike to Kendrick Bourne. And Bourne actually looks like he could be the wide receiver one for the Patriots. Six catches on 11 targets for 64 yards and two touchdowns. He looks really good in this game for the Patriots offense. Mac Jones finished the game 35-54 passing for 316 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Mac Jones looked good in this game. Besides the pick six, which I think Bourne probably should have had it since it hit him in the hands, but it was a high pass. Regardless, Mac Jones responded and had a good second quarter and a really good game after that pick six. The Eagles didn't look that dominant. That's one thing I took away from this game. The Eagles are a good team, very talented on both sides of the ball. But if the Patriots didn't hand them a few scores early in the first quarter, it could have been a different game. The Patriots still battled even being down 16-0. And a big play came for the Patriots on defense in the fourth quarter, three minutes to go. Jalen Hurts scrambled, and Jabril Peppers found him in the middle of the field with a big hit, and ends up fumbling the ball, coughing it up, and the Patriots recover the ball with 332 left in the fourth quarter, down by five points. So the Patriots have the ball now on Philly's 41-yard line, and they couldn't do anything with it. A turnover on downs with 224 to go. The Patriots' defense comes up big, gets the Patriots the ball back on offense with 157 to go. So the Patriots' offense gets the ball back just under two minutes to go. Mac Jones drives the Patriots all the way down the field to the Eagles' 20. But unfortunately, a 12-yard completion to Keyshawn Booty comes back after review, showing that Booty didn't get two feet down, and the Patriots end up losing the game on that on a turnover of downs. But Mac Jones did look impressive, though, after that pick six. He found a way to get the Patriots back on track and in this game. I give him credit. He looked better. I thought Mac Jones would have a better season this year than in last. I thought Mac Jones would look better than last season. I thought his stats would be a lot better. I just worried about the team because the division is really good. Now with Aaron Rodgers going down, who knows what the Jets are going to look like, which I'll give you guys my thoughts on that situation in just a few minutes. But for the Eagles, they didn't look really that dominant in this game. Darius Slay had seven targets, gave up 33 yards, had a 62.2 passer rating allowed, did a pick six, but also allowed a touchdown in this game. James Bradbury, who was out for tonight's Thursday Night Football game, was targeted five times in the Eagles secondary, allowing 38 yards in a touchdown and a 104.2 passer rating. So neither cornerback looked great in that game, 
but Darius Slay did a pick six, which obviously makes a difference. One positive for the Eagles' defense is defensive lineman Jalen Carter, who's a rookie, recorded eight pressures, which was the most pressures of any defensive tackle in the NFL in week one. He finished that game with a 32% pass rush win rate, which is exceptional. For the Patriots' first-round pick in this year's draft, Christian Gonzalez, he looked very good too. Played every single snap for the Patriots in their secondary and finished the game with seven tackles, a sack, a tackle for a loss, and a big fourth-down pass breakup. He looked very good. He's obviously something for the Patriots to build around in their secondary. One controversial play came with the Patriots trailing by eight on fourth and three with nine minutes and 39 seconds to go. Bill Belichick's on the Eagles' 17-yard line. Could opt to kick a field goal. The Patriots are down by eight at this point. So a field goal would make it be a five-point game, and then you'd have a chance to win the game potentially with a touchdown at the end if you get the ball back, which it was still 9.39 left to go, so you've got to think you're going to get the ball back at least once. But Bill Belichick ends up opting to not kick the field goal and go for it and ends up not working out, and people ask Bill Belichick after the game because the Patriots at that time were down eight. It would be a five-point game if you kick the field goal and make it. It's on the 17-yard line, so it should be an easy make for Patriots rookie kicker Chad Rhineland. But they end up opting to go for it. And obviously it doesn't work out. Bill Belichick was asked after the game about that decision. And here's what Bill Belichick said. We made the best decision we could at the time. Didn't know we would be down there multiple times, meaning in the red zone, getting the ball back. Six minutes to go in the game. I don't know. If we had kicked it, I'm sure he'd be asking why we didn't go for it. So Belichick does have a point there because if the Patriots end up kicking the field goal, people would ask, why didn't you go for it there? If it ends up not working out, you still lose the game. And the same goes the reverse which ends up being the case in the game. The Patriots decide not to kick the field goal, they go for it, and it ends up not working out. Bill Belichick's right. He was going to be asked about that no matter what happened at the end of the day. Tough loss for the Patriots, but they showed a lot of guts in that game. 25-20, to close game against the Eagles. And as I said, that game does worry me a little bit of the Eagles, considering they had a much better loss than the Patriots in my eyes, and they only beat the Patriots by five. And that's with the Patriots handing them two touchdowns early in the game. So now I'm going to move on to talk about my game of the week which I predicted would be the game of the week in my predictions, and that was the Dolphins-Chargers game. Very high-scoring game like I thought it would be, and I thought the Dolphins would win that one late in the contest, and that ends up being the case. The Dolphins win that game 36-34 in a high-scoring match. That was a fun one to watch. Miami's offense really shined in this game. 536 yards on offense, and they got an MVP stat line from Tua Tagovailoa, who was 28-45 passing for 466 yards, three passing touchdowns, and an interception. And one major reason his stat line looked like that is because of how good Tyreek Hill looked in this game. He could not be stopped. 11 catches for 215 yards, two touchdowns, and 49 yards after the catch. Tyreek Hill, when you play him in man coverage, especially in solo man coverage, just one-on-one, it's impossible to stop him one-on-one. And if you're going to go man coverage, you need a safety over the top. And even then, he still could find a way to beat you over the top. And then the same goes for zone coverage. Zone coverage might be a little bit better against Tyreek Hill, but he can beat you there as well. He's just that good. And especially in that game, I don't think anybody in the league could have stopped him with how good he was on Sunday. Jalen Waddle had acquired a game for Miami's offense. He still had a good game. Four catches of 78 yards, but they didn't really need too much from him. They didn't need 100 yards and a score in that game from Jalen Waddle. They only needed four catches of 78 yards, and they got the win. Considering how good Tyreek Hill was, they didn't need a monster game from Jalen Waddle. But I want to give a little bit more credit to Tua Valoa, who I moved up in my rankings. I did a ranking... Of all the quarterbacks with Mike Curley, the sports guru, about a week before the season started. And then before last week's Thursday night game, I did a whole look into my quarterback rankings again. And I made a couple adjustments. And I moved Tua Tagovailoa ahead of Josh Allen. And I couldn't tell you how happy I am that I did that. Because Tua Tagovailoa looked great in week one. And Josh Allen really struggled. And it's only one game at the end of the day. Nobody's won the Super Bowl yet. Nobody's won MVP. 
But I do really like the Dolphins this year, and I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. So I kind of just had to move Tua up. And I do have a lot of faith in Tua this season, and I think he's going to have a better year than Josh Allen. So I'm happy I moved him up. So credit to him. 466 yards, three touchdowns, one pick, and 10.4 yards per completion. He absolutely balls out in this game. Miami's defense is also underrated. They did give up 34 points in this game. Credit to the Chargers' offense. They look great in Kellen Moore's debut as offensive coordinator. But Miami's defense is underrated. They had four sacks on Herbert, and they do have a lot of talent. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Jalen Ramsey come back. He's going to miss probably a good amount of the season. He'll be back towards the end of the year if he does make it back this season. But they do have a lot of talent besides Jalen Ramsey. Bradley Chubb, Christian Wilkins, Xavier Howard. So that's obviously a lot of talent at the linebacker edge position. Obviously the defensive line being Christian Wilkins and then Xavier Howard in the secondary. Bradley Chubb's a great outside linebacker. A lot of talent there for that Dolphins defense. I'm excited to see what they look like the rest of the season because I expect big things out of this Dolphins team on offense and defense. Considering Mike McDaniel is their head coach, which I think McDaniel is a top three head coach in the NFL. So considering you have the best offense, and if not the best, a top three offense in the NFL, a good defense with a lot of talent, and then a top three head coach in my eyes, obviously the Super Bowl is the expectation there. If Tua Tagovailoa can stay healthy, I like the Dolphins to win the Super Bowl. I said it last week before the season began, and I'm going to stay with it. The Dolphins are still my Super Bowl pick. Justin Herbert played very well in this game. As I said, that was the debut for Kellen Moore as the offense coordinator for the Chargers. And Herbert played well. 23 of 33 passing, a 70% completion percentage, 228 yards and a touchdown with five carries for 18 yards and a touchdown on the ground. So two total touchdowns in the game for Justin Herbert with just about 250 total yards between passing and rushing. He looks good, and I'm excited to see what they look like on offense throughout the whole season. And one guy that didn't really do much in that game was Quinton Johnston, their first-round pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. I expect him to make plays for them at some point this season. So I hope they find a way to get him the ball this week. I think he could be a good game-breaking player for them on offense. Has big playmaking ability, obviously a lot of speed, and has some height as well. I think he could help them out a lot on offense, and he wasn't really much of a factor last week. Austin Eckler and Josh Kelly were both great on the ground. Miami's run defense is something they have to get better in. Because Austin Eckler and Josh Kelly were both just unstoppable on the ground for Miami. And if you look at it, Austin Eckler had 16 carries, 117 yards, and a touchdown. And then Josh Kelly, the backup running back, had 16 carries and 91 yards and a touchdown as well. So Miami's run defense definitely has to improve. That's something that's going to have to get better over the course of the season. But I liked what I saw from Justin Herbert in this game. There still is obviously a long way to go for the Chargers. They obviously wish they won that game, but the defense has to play better as well. 36 points, even though Miami's offense is great, they really couldn't find a way to contain Tyreek Hill, which I don't really think any cornerback in the NFL could have contained him one-on-one, but they got to switch things up. Letting him go for 11 catches for 215 yards and two touchdowns, you got to switch things up. Maybe throw safety over the top. Maybe try to jam him at the line of scrimmage. you got to figure things out there. Maybe try to use a cornerback in the line of scrimmage to jam him and use a safety over the top. Maybe that would make a difference. I don't really know what you can do to stop Tyreek Hill, but they didn't really make too many adjustments during the game. So now I'm going to move on and talk about the Buccaneers' big win. And this was a surprise win over the Vikings in Week 1. 20-17 win for Tampa Bay. One thing that I want to talk about in this game is that I was disappointed with the Vikings' start of the season. They have a home game versus the Bucs, a team that really didn't have too many aspirations going into the year. With Tom Brady leaving and then obviously Baker Mayfield stepping in, I don't think anybody saw high aspirations for this Bucs team. Nobody really expected much from them. But the Vikings let them go to Minneapolis and beat them on their own home turf. The Vikings end up letting them beat them on their own home turf, which is a tough loss. But Baker Mayfield, credit to him. He's a guy I criticized. I had him at the bottom three of my quarterback rankings. 
He found a way to win this game. 21 of 34 passing, 173 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. His biggest issue has been decision-making in his career, but he played good enough for the win in this game. So credit to Baker Mayfield. He looked pretty good. And obviously when you have two great receivers like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, it definitely makes it easier on you. And he found ways to win. So credit to him. As for the Vikings, their offense wasn't really an issue in this game. They only got 17 points, but Kirk Cousins looked pretty good overall. He did have one play at the goal line looking for KJ Osborne that was underthrown could have been picked. But he was 33 of 44 passing for 344 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Found Justin Jefferson nine times for 150 yards. And also found rookie wide receiver Jordan Addison for his first career touchdown. Four catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown in that game for Addison. He's going to be a game-breaker for them on offense. But the Vikings really couldn't find a way to win this game at home. That's my issue here with the Vikings. I expect them to win 10 games. I expect them to win the division. But losing to the Bucs at home isn't the best start to the season. Tampa Bay's defense did show up, though. So it's not just Baker Mayfield showing up. Tampa Bay's defense showed up as well. Nine quarterback hits. They also had an interception off Kirk Cousins and two sacks. And they gave him just seven points in the second half. Just seven points. And you look at Kirk Cousins' stat went 344 yards, you'd expect him to win that game. But Tampa Bay and their defense, they found a way to stop the Minnesota offense. Just seven points in the second half for Minnesota. Tampa Bay had a 57-yard field goal in the fourth quarter with five minutes to go. Chase McLaughlin, 57-yard field goal ends up being the game-winning kick. And the Vikings end up winning that one 20-17. So credit to Tampa Bay defense. They found a way to win and obviously found a way to win on offense as well. So it's not just the defense. Their offense made plays to win the game too. So credit to both sides of the ball there for Tampa Bay. The Vikings play tonight in week two. On Thursday Night Football, I'm going to preview that game at the end and give you guys my thoughts. The next game I'm going to talk about is Jacksonville, which had a big win over the Colts, 31-21. But it was a little bit closer than I expected. 31-21 win. But I thought the Jacksonville Jaguars would win this game easily. And the way I feel about it still goes. It shouldn't have been a close game. Even though Jacksonville comes away with the win that's most important is getting the W at the end of the day, it shouldn't have been this close of a game. A team that's tanking like the Colts, even though some people thought they'd win maybe five, six, seven games a season. I had them at, I think, three or four wins in my predictions. I didn't really have much trust in this Colts team. They came out and they fought, so credit to them. I'm going to talk about their offense in just one second. But I want to talk about Jacksonville's big three. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, and Calvin Ridley. Quarterback, running back, wide receiver. All three of them had very good games. Trevor Lawrence, 24-32 passing for 241 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Had a couple very impressive throws to Calvin Ridley in tight coverage. He's not afraid to thread the needle and throw into tight coverage. Trevor Lawrence has the arm to put the ball anywhere he wants it. One of the best arms in the sport, and he's not afraid to throw into tight coverage. And you saw that in that game throwing to Calvin Ridley. And then Travis Etienne showed up as well. 18 carries, 77 yards and a touchdown with five catches of 27 yards in the air. And then Calvin Ridley, eight catches and 101 yards in a touchdown including a first-quarter touchdown pass from Trevor Lawrence. He looks great in the game. That offense is ready to roll. As I said in my predictions, I have them as the best offense in the NFL this season. Then I think I have the Dolphins at two, and I'll stay with it. I like those two offenses a lot in the AFC. The Colts made a nice run, though, especially in the third quarter. They had 14 points in the third quarter, one of them being a scoop and score, and the other one being a 39-yard touchdown pass from Anthony Richardson to Michael Pittman. And Richardson really impressed me in this game. 24-37 passing, 65% completion percentage, a touchdown pass and interception with 10 carries of 40 yards and a touchdown on the ground. He came out of the game with an injury, but he should be good to go this week. Two total touchdowns in this game, just one interception. That's something people worried about. The interception wasn't a great pass, but you're going to make mistakes as a rookie quarterback. 
But there was another thing about his game that I worried about, and that was his running ability. Very good runner, elusive, big guy, the same build as Cam Newton. Very big quarterback, elusive, could beat you with his strength. But the issue was this. He didn't really want to slide. He was just running freely and taking hits. And at the end of the day, Trevor Lawrence told him at the end of the game, like, hey, you got to be careful in this league, running the ball. You can run, just try to slide, get yourself out of bounds, try to avoid some hits. And that's something Anthony Richardson has to learn because he doesn't want to get himself hurt. But he looked good in this game. He impressed. And the Colts, as I said, found a way to make a run in the third quarter, make it a close game. A scoop and score after stripping Trevor Lawrence, and they end up scooping it up and getting a touchdown. And then a big touchdown pass from Anthony Richardson to Michael Pittman. Their offense honestly looks decent in this game. And that's without Jonathan Taylor. But their replacement running back for Jonathan Taylor is Deion Jackson, who really struggled. 13 carries of 14 yards and two fumbles lost. He's going to still get carries since Evan Hull is now on the IR, and they have Zach Moss coming back this week. But Deion Jackson's still going to be in the mix. So his fumbling issues have to be solved. For Jacksonville's defense, Josh Allen really stood out for them. He came up big with three sacks. Jacksonville has needed a better pass rush. Over the last few seasons, that's one part of the game they struggled with is pass rush and in their secondary. Last season, they got better with it. And this season, they started off very strong in their pass rushing game. With three sacks from Josh Allen, he had 10 tackles with three tackles for loss and a quarterback hit. And then former number one pick Trayvon Walker had six tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss and a quarterback hit as well. That defense looks ready to roll. Even though it's against Indianapolis, that defense came out ready to play. The next game we're going to mention is the Saints-Titans game, which the Saints end up eking out a win 16-15 to in this one. But one thing I wanted to talk about mostly in this game was the poor play from Ryan Tannehill because if he doesn't turn the ball over three times in this game, maybe there's a chance the Titans end up beating the Saints in this game. Quarterback is an issue for this Titans team. I said it in my quarterback rankings. I worried about Ryan Tannehill this season. I think I had him at 30th in my rankings. And the way he looked on Sunday, he was the 32nd quarterback in the NFL. From what I saw in red zone, he really struggled. And I think he'll end up being the first quarterback that's benched this season. And that's what I thought. In my predictions, I said that I thought Malik Willis would be stepping in at some point midway through the season because I don't really have much faith in Ryan Tannehill. And if you watch the game on Sunday, he looked awful. 16-34 passing, 198 yards, and three interceptions. And of those three interceptions, a lot of them were just careless throws, just not caring, just giving it to the defense, basically. So that's obviously a worry for Tennessee. DeAndre Hopkins in his Titans debut with seven catches, 65 yards. Running back Derrick Henry still looks good. And that's even with backup Taze Spears taking some snaps from him. Taze Spears ends up being the leading running back in snaps in that game. Derrick Henry did look good, though. Still ran the ball hard. So that's why I think, at the end of the day, I think Ryan Tannehill is what's holding them back on offense. So maybe Ryan Tannehill gets a chance sooner rather than later. Derek Carr in a Saints debut, a quarterback, was 23 of 33 passing for 305 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. He found Chris Olave for eight catches and 112 yards. Very impressive game for Olave as a wide receiver one. One thing that was big for the Saints in this game was their defense. They had three sacks on Tannehill, 10 quarterback hits, 11 passes defended, with three interceptions, and only allowed 285 yards in this game. So their defense was a strong suit going into the season, and they showed up to play in week one. The next game I'm going to mention is the Atlanta Falcons and the Carolina Panthers game. The Panthers end up losing this one 24-10 to the Falcons. The Falcons step up in week one with a big win 24-10 over Carolina. And one thing I want to mention about this Panthers team is that I was very high in them to win the division. I expect them to show up this season and be much improved. I liked a lot of their offseason signings. And one offseason signing that I want to mention right now is Jesse Bates, who had two interceptions on Bryce Young, had 10 combined tackles, a forced fumble, and two passes defended. What a great offseason acquisition for this Atlanta Falcons secondary. A position of need. They needed help at the safety position. And Jesse Bates showed up and made big plays for them already in week one. Another offseason acquisition they had was Bijan Robinson, 
who had an 11-yard touchdown reception in the first quarter. He finished the game 10 carries for 56 yards with six catches of 27 yards in a touchdown in the air. Very impressive game overall for Bijan Robinson. Only 16 touches for him. Tyler Algier had 15 carries for 74 yards and two touchdowns with two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. He also had three catches of 19 yards in the air as well. And I know a lot of people look at that and they worry about Bijan Robinson and his production considering Algier did take two of those touchdowns. But Bijan Robinson is a big reason they moved the ball down the field in those situations. And then Algier just came in on the goal line to just clean things up, really. So credit to Bijan, credit to Algier as well. Two very good backs. But Bijan Robinson is a lead back. They're obviously the most talented player on that team, in my eyes. The Falcons' defense showed up to play in the second half. They allowed just three points to Carolina's offense in the second half. So credit to Atlanta. And then Atlanta's offense also generated 17 points in the second half as well. So they outscored Carolina 17-3 in the second half. Bryce Young didn't look great in his NFL debut for Carolina. 20 of 38 passing, 146 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. He does have a lot to learn, a lot to adjust to, but I think he can be a good quarterback in the NFL. But obviously two interceptions in your debut. Not the best start to your career, but it's only his first game in the NFL as a starter in a game that matters. He's going to adjust. He's going to learn. I do have more confidence, though, in C.J. Stroud, as I've mentioned, though, already on the podcast multiple times now. The Panthers' defense didn't look bad in this game. Panthers defensive lineman Derek Brown looked pretty good. Nine tackles, a sack, two tackles for loss, and a quarterback hit. Monster gave from him. And then Brian Burns, who's the best player on defense, had seven tackles, two sacks, a tackle for a loss, a quarterback hit, and a forced fumble. You can't really ask for much more out of him. But the Panthers end up falling short in this game by two touchdowns. The next game I'm going to mention is the Commanders' narrow defeat over the Arizona Cardinals. 20-16, Washington ends up beating Arizona in this game. The Cardinals' defense played very well. I'm going to start off with them. They sacked Sam Howell six times, including two of them being Cardinals linebacker Dennis Kardec. He's been there for a while. And for a tanking team, they looked a lot better than people would have imagined. I thought this Cardinals team would be a mess, especially in week one, even though it's the start of the season. A lot of teams are a little bit crisper in week one than they are in week 16, week 17. But I thought in week one, they would be a mess from the get-go. But they found a way to move the ball with Josh Jobs at quarterback, and they found a way to really stop the Washington offense. The Cardinals had a chance with the ball, with two minutes to go and a chance to win. They end up falling short, but they put themselves in a position with a chance to win the game late in the game, which is all you can ask for. Josh Dobbs, a quarterback, didn't do that bad. 21 of 30 passing, 132 passing yards. Not a big game from him, but I guess he didn't make any mistakes, and he kept the game close enough with how well the Arizona defense played, so you really can't ask for much more out of him. Sam Howell, quarterback for the Commanders, was 19-31 passing with 202 yards, a passing touchdown, and interception, also added in two carries, 411 yards and a rushing touchdown. Sam Howell is a guy that I was high on going into the season. I thought he'd make plays. And he found a way to score a touchdown on the ground. Had a passing touchdown as well, so two total touchdowns. But one thing about Howell that I want to see is I want to see him look downfield for Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin. I want to see him air it out and sling the ball deep. He didn't really do it too much in this game. Maybe this coming weekend he will. But I really want to see him air it out this week for a long touchdown to either Dotson or McLaurin. Because they have the ability to do that. Two very good wide receivers and a quarterback that has a good arm that I'm high on to make some plays this season for the Commanders. And a nickname I made up for Sam Howell was Howell at the Moon. I was saying that to Mike Hurley over the weekend, the sports guru. I was saying Howell at the Moon. I think Sam Howell is a guy that could make some plays for Washington this season. I know Mike Hurley, the sports guru, agrees with me on that one. Even though he may not be the quarterback next season, considering they could have a high draft pick and maybe they go out and get a quarterback in the draft, I just think Sam Howell can compete. I think he can compete at the NFL level and put up some decent numbers as a starting quarterback for Washington. But I thought the Commanders would really blow out the Cotters in this game. I thought they'd win this game rather easily, but the Cardinals surprised me, so credit to them. They showed up and played. We'll see how the Giants do against the Cardinals this week. The next game I'm going to mention is the Ravens-Texans game. 
which the Ravens end up winning this game 25-9. They had 18 points in the second half. It was only a 7-6 game, though, at halftime. But the Ravens woke up in the second half scoring 18 points and only giving up three to the Houston Texans offense, winning that game overall 25-9. But one worry for me in this game is that Houston's offense did outgain Baltimore's 268 to 265. Lamar Jackson didn't look his best. 17 to 22 passing, which is efficient, but only 169 passing yards and interception, no passing touchdowns, with six carries to 38 yards on the ground. Zay Flowers did shine for them, though, on offense. Nine catches on 10 targets for 78 yards. He looks like he could be the wide receiver one in this offense for Lamar Jackson. Unfortunate news, though, in that game is that the Ravens will be without J.K. Dobbins for the rest of the season with an Achilles injury. That's a big loss for them in offense. Even though I wasn't as high on J.K. Dobbins, I ended up being a fakeout rather than a breakout player in fantasy football this season. But that's still a loss for them in offense, considering he's a starting back, and he's been battling injuries now over the last couple of years. Comes back fully healthy this season, is already hurt again. So that's obviously very unfortunate. And I'm hoping J.K. Dobbins is a speed recovery and is back on the field for Baltimore soon. In that game, though, Justice Hill, backup running back for the Ravens, had two rushing touchdowns. Nobody would have expected that before the game. It looks like Gus Edwards, though, even with Justice Hill's two touchdowns, it looks like Gus Edwards will be the starting back for the Ravens the rest of the way. In C.J. Stroud's debut for the Texans, he was 28-44 passing with a 64% completion percentage, 242 passing yards, and four rushes, 420 yards on the ground. I thought the Texans were going to score more points, though. I thought the Texans would keep things close here with the Ravens. I thought they would score points and be right down to the wire, but that wasn't the case. But Stroud didn't have a bad day, though, in his debut. Nico Collins was his top receiver, six catches, 80 yards. And I do expect Nathaniel Dell, Tank Dell, to make some big plays on offense at some point within the next couple games. I think CJ Stroud and him could have a really good connection this season. Stroud didn't make any mistakes, but I thought he'd have at least a touchdown pass in this game. But maybe this coming week, he'll have a big game in week two. The next game I'm going to mention is the Rams' surprise win over the Seattle Seahawks, winning that game 30-13 to over Seattle. Seattle was outscored 23 to nothing in the second half by the Rams. 23-0 to in the second half. And I said before the season began that I thought Sean McVay and the Rams could surprise some people this year. I had them at eight or nine wins with the news of Cooper Cup being out four games. I changed that prediction to, I think, eight wins. But I was always teetering between eight wins and nine wins for this team. And even without Cooper Cup in this game, the Rams' offense found a way to stay afloat, and they found a way to get a win. With Puka Nakua as their new weapon in the slot, he was great. A guy that I said to keep your eye on in my predictions. A guy that I thought could fill the Cooper Cup role with Cooper Cup out. And I thought he could be a major contributor for them on offense this season. And he started the year with 10 catches on 15 targets, which is nuts, for 119 yards. He really filled the Cooper Cup role. 15 targets with 100-plus receiving yards and double-digit receptions. That's a Cooper Cup role right there. So with Cooper Cup coming back at some point, hopefully in Week 5, that's going to be big for this Rams offense. And with them winning games now, now there's more of a, a need for Cooper Cup to come back. If they were 0-4, let's say, maybe Cooper Cup milks the injury and waits a couple more weeks. But with them winning in Week 1, now there's a little bit more of an urgency. 2-2 Atwell had a good game at the receiver position as well. Six catches for 119 yards. And then running back Kyron Williams surprised in this game. I thought Cam Akers would be money this season. I had him being a breakout player in fantasy football. But Kyron Williams was more productive in this game. Williams had 15 carries of 52 yards and two touchdowns. Akers finished with more carries, 22 carries, but for just 29 yards and a touchdown. So not the best day for Akers on the ground. Not really productive. Not as productive as, obviously, Williams was in that game. Aaron Donald finished the game with four tackles, a sack, and a quarterback hit. He still continues to be a big disruptor on the defensive line for the Rams. As for the Seahawks in this game, I thought they would regress. That was a big prediction of mine before the season began. I know a lot of people had them being an NFC dark horse and a Super Bowl dark horse contender. 
But I don't really see that with this team. And even though it's week one, there's still a lot of football left to go. They have a great head coach at Pete Carroll. They can still turn things around to get themselves back on track. But from this week one game, the regression that I thought they would have kind of played out in this one. It's only one game at the end of the day, but losing to the Rams to start the season without Cooper Cup being on the Rams' offense, that's tough. The Rams' offense had 426 yards. Seattle had just 180 yards on offense. They were outgained on offense, 426 to 180. So credit to the Rams' defense first off, and then credit to the Rams' offense. They showed up ready to play on both sides of the ball. Geno Smith struggles in this one. 16-26 passing for 62% as a completion percentage, 112 passing yards in a touchdown. But in a game we are down, especially in the second half, we are outscored in the second half, 23 to nothing, and you only have 112 passing yards in the game, that's not great. 112 passing yards in a game where you're down a ton is ridiculous. And they were outgained in this game, as I said, 426 to 180. Lockett had just two catches for 10 yards in this game. Jackson Smith and Jigba just three catches for 13 yards. Two guys that need to be contributors on that offense. So Geno Smith has to find a way to get them the ball. But I thought Seattle's offense would take a step back. And maybe this is a start to them taking a step back. It's only week one at the end of the day. They can still get themselves back on track this week. And who knows, there's still a long way to go. But I wasn't really high on Seattle this season. Seattle's defense allowed 426 yards in this game. And that's without Cooper Cup being on the field for the Rams. And Seattle's defense didn't really generate too many pressures. Just two quarterback hits and no sacks on Matt Stafford. So credit to Sean McVay and the Rams. They came out ready to play in week one. And now they have the 49ers this week in another NFC West showdown. So now we've got three games to go. And the next game I'm going to talk about is the Bills-Jets game. Which it ends up being a bittersweet win for the New York Jets over the Buffalo Bills in overtime. The Jets end up winning the battle in this game, but they lost the war. They win the game 22-16, which is the battle, but they end up losing the war. With Aaron Rodgers going down on just the fourth play of the game, 75 seconds into his Jets career, he tears his left Achilles. And now Aaron Rodgers' career is over, and now there's a question about whether or not he's going to make a comeback. Is he going to try to play next season? I think he's going to try, but at 39 years old, it's going to be hard for him to come back and be the quarterback he once was. A lot of people thought he was regressing in his last year with Green Bay, but I thought he was going to have a big season this year with the New York Jets. And now we'll never know what he was going to look like for the Jets this season. On just the fourth play of the game, he goes down with an injury, which is so unfortunate because the Jets and their fan base just got life back. People are starting to buy back into the Jets. Their fans were going nuts before the game. Obviously, in the offseason, everybody was going crazy when they got Aaron Rodgers. And obviously, Hard Knocks was a hit as well. Everybody loved watching Hard Knocks because Aaron Rodgers was there. And obviously, it's a big attention draw. People want to see Aaron Rodgers and obviously want to go out and watch him play. But now he's already done. 75 seconds into the season, and Aaron Rodgers is already done for the year, which is obviously a major loss. And hopefully, he comes back. I've always been a big fan of Aaron Rodgers, and I've always defended him. Even though the Packers have always had a top team in the playoffs, just what Every year that he was there, it felt like they were a top seed in the NFC. And they only have one Super Bowl to show for it. So even though they haven't really been that clutch with Aaron Rodgers, especially in the playoffs, I always sided with the Packers. I always had them winning, it felt like, in all my predictions every single year. I said, oh, the Packers are going to win because I loved Aaron Rodgers with Devontae Adams. That didn't work out. So then when he goes to the Jets, I thought, okay, the Jets are going to make the playoffs. And I thought Aaron Rodgers could get back to his MVP form. Maybe not be the MVP, but I thought he could get back to MVP form and throw 35 touchdowns. But now we'll never know with him going down after just the fourth play of the season for the Jets' offense. So then backup quarterback Zach Wilson steps in, and he delivered a big surprise win for the Jets. 
And he played very well considering the circumstances. Coming in off the bench, probably didn't expect it at all. And just the fourth play of the game, he's to step in and be the Jets quarterback. Now, the whole Jets season is now in Zach Wilson's hands. A guy that a lot of people criticized last season. Everybody wanted Zach Wilson gone and everybody gave up on the kid. And everybody wanted Zach Wilson to be gone. Nobody really had much faith in him after last season. And obviously, he didn't really play well last season. He really struggled. But when the Jets got Aaron Rodgers, I said that that could be a great learning opportunity for Zach Wilson. And I thought he would thrive if he was ever given another chance. And now here's a shot. He gets another chance now to be the starting quarterback for the New York Jets. And in that game, on Monday night, he was 14 of 21 passing for 140 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. The interception was a horrible pass. Not really too sure what he saw over the middle of the field. Ends up getting picked rather easily. And that was something he struggled with over the years, is just giving up careless turnovers and throwing into coverage they shouldn't really be throwing into. But I always thought that Aaron Rodgers could be a positive influence for him. And I thought maybe he could learn from Aaron Rodgers, learn coverages, learn when to throw the ball to tight windows, learn when to throw the ball away, learn when to slide, learn to when to step up in the pocket. There's a lot of things about the game of football that Aaron Rodgers knows that I feel like Zach Wilson could learn from him. And at the end of the day, I'm sure Zach Wilson learned a lot from him during training camp and during the summer. And it seems like that Zach Wilson is still going to have Aaron Rodgers by his side because Aaron Rodgers is still going to go to the building and be there as a mentor for Zach Wilson for the rest of the season. So that's obviously a good thing there for Zach. Wilson did have a touchdown pass in the game to Garrett Wilson. It wasn't really a great pass. It could have gone picked. It was really a pass breakup that Garrett Wilson kind of just got in there and tried to hit the ball away from the cornerback, but it ends up being an acrobatic touchdown grab by Garrett Wilson and ends up being a big touchdown score for the Jets, gets them back in the game, and they end up winning that game in overtime. They won that game off an electric punt return by Xavier Gibson, a guy that really showed out for them over the summer in the preseason. He looked very good. Gets an opportunity now in that big game on Monday night as a punt returner, and he ends up returning for a touchdown and giving the Jets a big win. Even though the Jets won the battle, as I said, they did lose the war with Aaron Rodgers going down. So now what are the Jets going to do? Who are they going to bring in for their backup quarterback position? There are still free agents on the market they could bring in. Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Colt McCoy, Cam Newton, Rob Griffin III was even campaigning for himself to be the backup quarterback on ESPN this week. And I'd love to see an RG3 comeback story, but I think that's very unlikely. A lot of people threw Tom Brady's name out there. I don't think Tom Brady's likely. I think his career's over with. I think he's happy with what he's doing now off the field. So who are the Jets going to bring in as a backup quarterback? I think Matt Ryan makes a lot of sense. There's a chance Joe Flacco could be the guy. It could be Matt Ryan. It could be Nick Foles. There's a lot of options there for the Jets and who could be their backup quarterback. But I think the way things stand right now, I think Matt Ryan makes the most sense for them. I'd go in and take Matt Ryan. He's another veteran quarterback that could be in the air of Zach Wilson. It'd be another positive note for him. Each and every week, Zach Wilson could learn from Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan in the film room and learn a lot of things. Those two guys have seen a lot of coverages, have been in a lot of big games, have each played in Super Bowls. Obviously, Matt Ryan lost in the Super Bowl, and then Aaron Rodgers won a Super Bowl. But both of them have been in a lot of big games in their career. So I think Matt Ryan would be a good pickup there for the Jets. And we'll see what they end up doing. It could end up being Carson Wentz. Who knows? Carson Wentz is still a free agent. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's Colt McCoy who was just recently cut by the Arizona Cardinals. Maybe it's Cam Newton. There's a lot of options now for the Jets. But I think they go out and get a backup quarterback. And as I said, Matt Ryan would be my pick for them. So the next five games for the Jets. They play at the Cowboys this weekend. Then they're home versus the Patriots. Home versus the Chiefs. And then they're on the road at the Broncos. And then play the Eagles at home at MetLife. That's a tough five-game schedule. But I think they're capable of going 2-3 and three in that stretch with Zach Wilson, a quarterback. And if they go 2-3 and three in that five-game stretch, they'd be 3-3 three and three in the first six games. And I think they could be in the game with the Kansas City Chiefs. So maybe they could go 3-2 and two in that stretch. That would be miraculous. But I think they could be in the game with the Kansas City Chiefs. Since the Jets' defense 
is so good and so elite, and they force a lot of turnovers on Josh Allen, which I'll get into that in just a second, they can stay in any game. So if Zach Wilson can get them a couple touchdowns a game, maybe a field goal or two, the Jets are going to be in a lot of games. So I think they can go two and three in that stretch, and that would have them being three and three after the first six games. And I know a lot of people criticized Zach Wilson at the end of last season, and there was a lot that he had to work on in his game, so it made sense that a lot of people criticized his mistakes and just careless throws. There was a lot of his game that he had to work on. But I think Zach Wilson could be a solid quarterback for this Jets team. And I said it over the summer. I said Zach Wilson is going to get an opportunity to be the starting quarterback again, whether it's with the Jets after Aaron Rodgers leaves in a couple of years or whether it's being a starting quarterback for a team that wants a bridge year and wants to give a journeyman quarterback a shot. I thought Zach Wilson would get another chance someday, and here's his chance to go out and play. I do believe in Zach Wilson enough to still make them competitive, considering how good the Jets' defense is and how good they are on offense. Brees Hall looked electric in that game, over 120 yards from scrimmage on limited touches. Brees Hall looks great. Garrett Wilson's a top receiver. Dalvin Cook is a very good back still. They have a lot of talent on that offense. Miko Hodman, Allen Nazad. They still have a lot of talent on that team on offense, and their defense is very good. I still believe in this Jets' team. Even though it's going to be a little bit harder for them now to make the playoffs, I still think they can compete. So I'm going to buy in on Zach Wilson here. Not many people are going to buy in on him, but I think he's a guy to keep your eye on now. And maybe the Jets can still be a playoff team. A lot of people threw their playoff chances out the window once Aaron Rodgers went down, which I understand, considering Aaron Rodgers is an all-pro quarterback, four-time MVP. But I think Zach Wilson can still be the answer for them at quarterback now with Aaron Rodgers down. It's all in Zach Wilson's hands. Robert Sauer said Zach is our quarterback. So they got to give him a shot. Let's see what Zach Wilson can do. But I'm not completely selling stock on Zach Wilson. I think he can still help them out, and I think he can help them still be competitive. So now I want to move on and talk about Josh Allen, who really struggled in this game on Monday night. And one thing after this game on Monday night is that people are starting to finally mention Josh Allen's turnover woes. Something I've been talking about for years now on my radio show and podcast. I've always mentioned that Josh Allen is very careless throwing the ball. He's had his fair share of turnovers. And then I always mention, which I've said this now a million times, that the Bills are always a Super Bowl favorite. They're always a Super Bowl contender, an AFC powerhouse people see them as. And they have nothing to show for it. No Super Bowls with Josh Allen, a quarterback. And have lost in the division around two straight years. So the turnovers, then obviously not winning big games. That's my issue there with Josh Allen. He has 84 turnovers since the start of the 2018 season, which is the most in the NFL by far. He's played in 77 career games, and with 84 turnovers, he's averaging 1.1 turnovers per game, which is abysmal. He turns the ball over at least once per game on average. And I've always said that I found Josh Allen overrated, and I know a lot of people love talking about Daniel Jones' turnover woes, and they talk about Daniel Jones' turnover machine, but for years, people neglected to mention that Josh Allen turns the ball over too. And Daniel Jones has gotten a lot better with his turnovers the last couple seasons. Even though he did have two turnovers on Monday night, one of them not being his fault, a pick six that was off the hands of Saquon Barkley, but then he had another tough pass trying to make a play out of nothing. But at the end of the day, people always bring up Daniel Jones' turnovers. And he's gotten a lot better with that over the last couple seasons. Josh Allen has been a turnover machine for the last couple seasons. But one thing with Josh Allen is that he's found a way to outweigh it, though, by his touchdowns. He outweighs his turnovers with his touchdowns and his big playmaking ability. And that's a big reason no one really ever mentioned Josh Allen's turnovers. Because if he has a lot of turnovers in a game, let's say he has two or three in a game, he finds a way to win sometimes, and then nobody talks about the turnovers. But on Monday night, he lost that game. And that's the big difference here. If the Bills won that game on Monday night, I don't think many people would be talking about Josh Allen's turnovers as much as they are right now. But one thing I always mention is that Josh Allen always had more around him than Daniel Jones did. And I'm not comparing Josh Allen to Daniel Jones here. Let's compare the situations. 
Josh Allen has a number one receiver in Stephon Diggs, has a better offensive line than Daniel Jones, and before last season, had Brian Dable as his offensive coordinator, and also a better head coach than Daniel Jones had before last season with Sean McDermott. Before last season, Daniel Jones had Jason Garrett and Joe Judge as his offensive coordinator and head coach. And then last season, the Giants get Brian Dable and Mike Kafka as the head coach and offensive coordinator. That makes a big difference in Daniel Jones' game. But Josh Allen still has a better offensive line and a wide receiver one in Stephon Diggs. And I always made the case that Allen without Stephon Diggs would not be the same quarterback. And I think there's a chance Stephon Diggs will want out at some point. And I've said that now for a while. Allen in this game was 29-41 passing for 236 yards, a passing touchdown, three interceptions, and a fumble. Four turnovers in this game for Josh Allen, with three of those turnovers coming in the second half. He finished the game with four turnovers, 236 passing yards, a touchdown, and six carries for 36 yards. All the Bills had to do in this game was not turn the ball over, and they would win. With Aaron Rodgers going down early on the fourth play of the game, all Josh Allen had to do was not turn the ball over. But he ends up turning the ball over four times, including three times in the second half, and Zach Wilson ends up beating Josh Allen for the second year in a row. But here's the difference. When the Bills win games and Josh Allen has a good amount of turnovers, let's say it's two or three, winning the game and a couple big touchdown passes ends up outweighing those turnovers. And that's what the difference was in this game. The Bills end up losing, and that's the reason people are talking about his turnovers. But in that game, he found a way to drive down the field and ends up setting up the Bills for a game-tying field goal with six seconds to go. It ends up going off the upright, a 50-yard field goal from Tyler Bass, goes off the upright and in, ties the game, sends it to overtime. And at that point, I'm like, okay, if the Bills win this game, nobody's going to talk about Josh Allen's turnovers. And no one's going to talk about how careless and atrocious he looked on that field in that game on Monday night. He was throwing it to double coverage for fun, it looked like, at sometimes. But with that loss, now he finally faces the heat for once. He had three interceptions to Jets safety Jordan Whitehead, who really balled out in that game for that Jets secondary. That defense is really good. So credit to that Jets secondary and that defense. They showed up ready to play. But Josh Allen was really careless in this game. And I've been critical of him already. So this isn't the first time I've been critical of him. There's still a long way to go and a long season ahead. But a lot of people had Josh Allen as the second-best quarterback in the NFL heading into the season, right behind Patrick Mahomes. And a lot of people had the Bills winning the Super Bowl or being an AFC championship contender for the third or fourth straight year in a row. But here's the thing with the Bills. They have found ways to lose in the playoffs and have lost in the division around two straight years in a row. Two straight years in a row. So that's why I really can't trust this Bills team. So now with Aaron Rodgers going down, that could be a potential playoff spot for another team. I had the Jets in my playoff predictions. And now with Aaron Rodgers going down, things could change. Maybe the Chargers' playoff chances are stronger now than they were before the injury to Aaron Rodgers. With Aaron Rodgers going down, we'll see how they perform with Zach Wilson, as I said. I still do have faith in Zach Wilson. He can still help this team be competitive. But at the end of the day, with Aaron Rodgers going down, the playoff chances for other teams did go up in the AFC. The Chargers have a better shot now. They were my first team out in the playoffs. I had them at 10-7 and along with the Jets in my predictions. But I had them losing to the Jets in a tiebreaker for the last wildcard spot. Now the Chargers' playoff chances are stronger than they were before. So as I said now a couple times, the Jets end up winning the battle in that game. They lose the war with Aaron Rodgers going down with a season-ending injury. And one other thing I want to mention in this game was that a lot of the time in the NFL, Josh Allen or another stock quarterback, like let's say Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow, all who had weaker week ones, considering Joe Burrow only had 83 passing yards and Lamar Jackson didn't look really that great passing the ball, didn't have a passing touchdown in that game, but they still end up winning regardless. There's a lot of games, though, where starting quarterbacks struggle 
they lose the game or they don't really have great stats at the end of it, and they end up getting away with it. But it seemed like after this week, Josh Allen faced some heat on ESPN, faced some heat on social media. And that was never really the case before. Daniel Jones has a bad game, and he's getting roasted, whether it's on Twitter, Instagram, FS1, ESPN. The next day, people live for bad days for Daniel Jones so they can just rip him to shreds. But for other stock quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, they have bad games, and they don't really face as much heat as Daniel Jones typically does when he has a bad game. But after this week, I saw Josh Allen face some heat and it made me feel a little bit better about Daniel Jones because there are a lot of games that Daniel Jones plays well that he doesn't get respect. And then when he has a bad game, analysts like Daniel Lossie, Stephen A. Smith love to point out his mistakes and they weren't pointing out his successes when he was having good games. But I'm happy after this past week, Josh Allen faced some heat. And I always wondered, why doesn't Joe Burrow face as much heat after a bad game like he did in week one? Why didn't Lamar Jackson face as much heat after that game in week one? Even though the Ravens won, Lamar Jackson didn't look great. But here's the reality of the situation. When you have a stock quarterback like Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, they don't really face as much heat because the next week they could respond to three touchdowns and people completely forget the four turnovers. Daniel Jones and his track record of turnovers has followed him every single game of his career. He has two interceptions on Sunday Night Football. People start talking about the turnover issues again. Not talking about the poor offensive line play that was around him or how he really played well last season. People forget all of that. So now I'm going to move on and talk about the Lions game. This was last Thursday night. The Lions had a big win in week one over the Chiefs, winning that game 21-20 to on Thursday night football. Patrick Mahomes struggled heavily in the second half of this game, and it wasn't really his fault. In the second half, he was 2 of 12 passing with an interception when targeting wide receivers. And overall in the second half, he was 9 of 22 with 79 passing yards in an interception with a 32.2 passer rating in the second half, which was actually the worst in second half passer rating among quarterbacks that were qualified in the NFL this past week. The worst second half passer rating in the NFL. So that's unlike Patrick Mahomes. But I wouldn't really blame Patrick Mahomes for that Chiefs loss. The Chiefs receivers dropped four passes in that game, which ended up being tied for second most in a game with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. Four drops, that's ridiculous. And Mahomes, you look at his stat line, it wasn't really as good as it typically is, but it could have been a lot different. If Kadaris Tony made a couple more catches, and if Sky Moore didn't drop a big 4th and 20 play, Patrick Holmes finished the game 21 of 39 passing for 226 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. He did have a big touchdown pass to my boy Rasheed Rice in the first half. Rookie wide receiver that I said to keep your eye on as a potential breakout candidate for them on offense, and he looked good in week one. But one thing I want to credit is the Lions' defense. They showed up to play, and they were lights out in the second half, holding Mahomes to just 79 yards in a pick in the second half. Credit to them. He was 9 of 22 passing in the second half. And the Lions' defense also had a pick six. And now I'm going to get into Kadarius Toney's poor game. He really struggled in this game. He had a pass that hit him in the chest right in the hands that he should have caught for completion that ends up deflecting off his hands and going up in the air. And Lions rookie defensive back Brian Branch reaches out for it with one hand, brings it in, and returns it for a touchdown. That ends up being a big difference in the game. Canaris Tony in the game had zero total yards. He had one catch for one yard and a rush for negative one yard. So at the end of the day, he had zero total yards and three drops. You can't really have as bad of a game as Canaris Tony did in Thursday Night Football last week. Sky Moore, another receiver here for the Chiefs, had a dropped pass on 4th and 20. A dime of a throw by Patrick Mahomes that would have been a big first down. Hit him right in the hands and he dropped it. Sky Moore finished with zero catches on three targets. Not the best start to a breakout season that some people expected for Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony. Both of them struggled in this game in week one. 
But credit to the Lions. They trailed in this game 20-14 to in the fourth quarter. David Montgomery had the game-winning touchdown, an eight-yard rush with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Ends up being the difference maker, giving them the win. Jared Goff showed up for the Lions, 22 of 35 passing with 253 yards and a touchdown. He found Amon Ross St. Brown for a touchdown in the first quarter. St. Brown finished this game with six catches, 71 yards, and a touchdown. The Chiefs were without Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones in this one, but that's not an excuse. You show up to play the game, and I know Mike Tirico did say in the broadcast that this wasn't as big of a win for the Lions considering they didn't have Chris Jones or Travis Kelsey on the Chiefs in this game, but regardless, there's always injuries. There's always plays out. That's just the NFL. So credit to the Lions for showing up and getting a big win in Week 1. According to reports, there's a chance Travis Kelsey is back in this weekend's game for the Chiefs. And then Chris Jones will be back with the team this weekend after receiving a new deal. He got a one-year, up to $25 million deal with a 19.5 base salary for this season. He will be a free agent after the season's over, but he is tag eligible after the season ends. So maybe there's a chance he is franchise tagged at the end of the season. So now I'm going to move on and talk about the Raiders' upset win over the Denver Broncos. The last game I'm going to mention now of the Week 1 slate. The Raiders end up winning that game 70-16 over Denver. Jimmy G in his Raiders debut was 20 of 26 passing with 200 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Wasn't his prettiest game, but he always finds a way to win. That's what he's great at. He finds a way to win games. And he did that last Sunday, getting a win for the Raiders in week one. Nobody expected a monster game for Jacoby Myers. He really balls out for the Raiders. Nine catches for 81 yards and two touchdowns. Had the game-winning touchdown with six minutes and 39 seconds to go. He's a guy that I saw as a wide receiver two in this offense, which he still is. I never expected him to have a two-touchdown game in week one. Devontae Adams is still the number one guy in that offense. I don't think anybody saw Jacoby Myers going for nine catches, 81 yards, and two touchdowns in week one. The Broncos lost this game at home in Sean Payton's debut with the Denver Broncos as head coach. Russell Wilson looked a little bit better in this game than he did last year. He was 27-34 passing for 177 yards and two touchdowns. No Jerry Judy in this game for Denver. They hope to have him back in week two. From a BC defensive end, Zach Allen had five tackles, a quarterback hit in a tackle for a loss for Denver's defense. Their defense is good. Their offense is what held them back last season. We'll see what the story is for this year as well. But they're 0-1 to start this year. Credit to the Raiders' defense, though. They only gave them a field goal in the second half. And Max Crosby showed up for the defensive line yet again, as he always does. Five tackles, a sack, and three quarterback hits. One of the big takeaways for me in Week 1 is a point that Tim Hasselbeck made on ESPN. He said there was a lot of sloppy play and poor turnovers with bad exchanges between quarterbacks and centers and quarterbacks and running backs in week one. And he noted that maybe it's because starters didn't play as much in the preseason. So maybe starters should play a few more series in the preseason just to get a little bit more crisp and get a little bit more chemistry with the starters around them. So now I'm going to preview the Thursday night football matchup for tonight. The Vikings will be facing the Eagles tonight in Philly. I think the Vikings take the win here. I think it's going to be a close battle. I'm going to go Vikings winning this one 24-23. I watched a lot of that Patriots-Eagles game last week. The Eagles didn't literally look great against the Patriots. They were handed a few scores early in the game, and that ends up being a big difference maker. If the Patriots didn't hand them a pick six early in the game in a fumble on the 25-yard line, maybe there's a chance the Patriots win that game. I wasn't really too impressed with the way the Eagles looked in week one against the Patriots. It's only week one. They still have a long way to go. Still have one of the best rosters in the NFL. So I'm not really too worried about them over the course of the whole season. I think they'll still turn things around and still be a very good team considering how much talent they have. But I think they could be upset tonight against the Vikings. The Vikings did struggle against the Bucs in week one. The Vikings defense didn't really look great yet again. That was a big problem for them last season. They didn't look good again in week one. And Kirk Cousins has struggled in primetime games. But for some reason, I get the feeling that the Vikings are going to go to Philly tonight and get a win. Even if it's a hot take, I feel like the Vikings are going to win this game. 
No Kenneth Gainwell running back for the Eagles, so look for Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift to get more touches tonight. Rashad Penny was a surprise scratch from last week's lineup for the Eagles, and the DeAndre Swift was just a non-factor for them on offense. Those two guys should get more touches for them on offense tonight. I think it'll be a fun game to watch. As I said, I think the Vikings will keep it close. I think the Vikings win this game 24-23, but regardless, I think it's going to be a very close game down to the wire. I'm going to start giving a guy in each game that I think will score a touchdown in each game for every single week whenever I do my pick em. That's always something I'm interested in doing. So in tonight's game, my guy's KJ Osborne. I think he will score a touchdown tonight for the Minnesota Vikings. I was close to saying Jordan Addison, but I want to go with the wild card, and KJ Osborne is my wild card pick for a touchdown in tonight's game. Anyways, I will conclude this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.